Well, if I were to tell you that you needed to catch the woe, like W-O-A-H, catch the woe. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Let me see a show of hands. If I said you got to catch the woe. There, okay, just a few of you. That's what I figured because this is kind of a, a young person thing, all right? Uh, this is uh, originated with a rap song. Do not go listen to that song, okay? That turned into a TikTok challenge kind of craze. So, so here's a video of what it looks like to... Catch the woe. It's the it, it, it's a challenge. So you got something in your hand, you toss it, you catch it. All right. Let's see some more here. This guy walking along, you got to drop whatever is in your hand and catch the woe. All right. This is the challenge. Okay. All right. She's got it, and boom, she caught the woe. All right. This guy's like, don't bother me. No, get out of here. This lady's like, stranger danger, get away from us. This lady, she knows what's up. Right. She got it. Okay. And then here's my my favorite of all. Football game, got the crowd, one, two, three, and boom, everybody catches the woe together. All right, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna, we're gonna try this together, all right? You ready? I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna pass it, and you're gonna catch it. Okay, ready? Here you go, ready? One, two, three, boom, look at you guys, all right? Some of you are still confused. I know, I'm right there with you. The first time I was told to catch the woe, I was like, catch what? Huh? What are we talking about? Like, and, and, and it was passed to me, uh, a, a girl, dear friends of ours, his daughter, Sophia, just like one of our own daughters, like, here, catch the woe. And I was like, catch the what? Huh? And my kids and Sophia, they're all laughing at me. I had no idea what was, what was going on. Well, I say all that because Jesus passed the woe as well. W-O-E, not, not W-O-A-H, but he passed out some woe, like W-O-E. The New Living Translation that we're going to read today would say it like this. What sorrow awaits, what sorrow awaits you. You see, this is a totally different kind of woe. This woe is a stern warning or a rebuke that he's going to give the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And here's the problem. The Pharisees and teachers of the law are not catching it. And they're looking foolish. Just like some of you did just now, right? Just like I did the first time I was past the woe, right? They're looking foolish. Jesus is passing out the woe and they're looking foolish because they're not catching it. They're not, they're not understanding what's going on here. You see, a woe is a stern warning or rebuke. And some of you are like, what? How could Jesus ever rebuke somebody? Like that would be hurtful, right? Like surely Jesus would never hurt somebody's feelings. <laughs> Oh man, this passage today, it is not warm and fuzzy. It is painful. All right. So get ready. Okay. Get ready. Cause this passage is painful. Jesus is going to hurt some feelings. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11. We are Back into our verse by verse study of the gospel of Luke, going exegetically, preaching exegetically, exegetically, which just means verse by verse through the gospel of Luke. And, and we just believe studying the Bible like that and preaching like that develops a deeper faith in God, a deeper trust in God, a deeper love for God, a deeper commitment to the mission of God. As you begin to know and understand and hopefully catch the full counsel of the word of God. You see, we're, we're, we're in a big, we're like, we're in a really dangerous spot when we don't know the full counsel of the word of God, because then it's real easy to like be taken off in a bad direction by some sort of meme version of the gospel presented to us on social media. You're like, oh yeah, that kind of sounds right. If you don't know the full counsel of the word of God, you're going to be led astray. 
So we don't want a meme understanding of the scripture, uh, of the gospel. No, we want to know the full counsel of the word of God. And so we're challenging you to not just study with here, here right now, but to study with us in our city groups. This week, we're going to be covering these exact same passages. In our daily devotionals on our app, I want to remind you under the Bible study tab, Monday through Friday, they're going to cover these exact same verses with more uh, explanation and application and prayer points. And then we're challenging you to study the gospel of Luke with your family using the table talk. Right now, your kids and our students are studying these exact same verses. And with the table talk, it allows families to come together around a table and discuss what God taught them in his word today. So we're challenging you to study the gospel of Luke with us. And we're hoping that as we go verse by verse through the gospel of Luke, we will be drawn up to Jesus, not to the left and not to the right, but drawn up to Jesus. And we're going to see today like round 30 of Jesus versus the Pharisees, right? And so in this, we, we, we've, we've said over and over and over again that the Pharisees, these teachers of the law, they are more conservative politically than their counterparts, the Sadducees. But religiously, they're more liberal due to their oral acceptance of their own law, their own oral law, that they had elevated their own thoughts and opinions and interpretations of the scripture to that of scripture. They had made them like one in the same. And so in that sense, they are far more liberal because they have elevated their own thoughts and opinions to that of scripture. And so... I've said this before, but I'm going to remind you, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he's always talking to you. Because whether you're conservative, progressive, left, right, he's talking to you. He's talking to me every time he's talking to the Pharisees. You probably noticed that conservatives have their Jesus, this truth-telling preacher, warrior, progressives have their Jesus that's inclusive and affirming, and both are incomplete pictures of Jesus. Both are incomplete. And so in our study of the Gospel of Luke, our prayer, our hope, is that we get to know the real Jesus. And Paul said that getting to know Jesus is better than anything else this world has to offer. Paul said, I want to know him. I want to know Jesus and when I look back on my life, Paul said, everything, I count everything as a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything pales in comparison to knowing Jesus, Paul said. And so our hope in our study of the Gospel of Luke is that we get to know Jesus and develop this passion that Paul had for knowing Christ. So we're looking at verse 37 through 54 this morning. You can open your Bible. You can open our app, the City Church Lubbock. If you don't have it, you can download it in your app store, the verses and the points and the quotes. All those things will be there in our app. Our best friends, Kobe and Jennifer Colley, he's an elder at our church. His wife is going to come and read the scriptures for us this morning. So would you please stand in honor of the word of the Lord? Jen. Hi, my name is Jennifer Colley. Um, my husband, Kobe, and I, we've been close friends with Darby and Clayton for over 20 years. Um, we have been with the City Church from the very beginning. We love their heart. We love the vision. Um, we lead a small group. We also have two boys in the youth group, so we help volunteer hosting them on Wednesday nights. And then we have a daughter 
in the children's ministry. So we love what the city's doing. We love being a part um, of this family. So let's read. As Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Then the Lord said to him, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Fools, didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you will be clean all over. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you, for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they are stepping on. Teacher, said an expert in religious law, you have insulted us too in what you just said. Yes, said Jesus, what sorrow awaits you, experts in religious law, for you crush people with unbearable religious demands, and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. What sorrow awaits you, for you build monuments for the prophets your own ancestors killed long ago. But in fact, you stand as witnesses who agree with what your ancestors did. They killed the prophets, and you join in their crime by building the monuments. This is what God in his wisdom said about you. I will send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some and persecute the others. As a result, this generation will be held responsible for the murder of all God's prophets from the creation of the world. From the murder of Abel to the murder of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, it will certainly be charged against this generation." What sorrow awaits you, experts in religious law, for you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves, and you prevent others from entering. As Jesus was leaving, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions. They wanted to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Thank you, Jen. You may be seated. So in the NLT... Jesus says, what sorrow awaits you? Other translations say, woe to you. Joel Green, in his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, said this about a woe. He defined it. It's a verbal form, pretending the coming disaster that would befall them on account of divine judgment. Jesus saying, woe to you, saying there is judgment, there is disaster coming, and it's divine judgment. Daryl Bach, in his commentary on Luke, said this about a woe. He said, a woe is a cry for God's just judgment in light of an action that deserves a divine response. So, so Jesus is crying out to God when he says, woe to you, what sorrow awaits you. It's like Jesus crying out for God's just judgment, for his wrath, because of the action that deserves this divine response. And so this morning, we're going to look at five keys for catching the woe so that we don't look like fools, like these Pharisees and teachers of the law. Five keys to catching the woe. W-O-E. You see, we got to catch it. 
we got to catch what Jesus is saying here because if we missed it, like the Pharisees and teachers of the law, Jesus said, you've missed the key and you've led other people astray. You've missed it and you're leading other people astray. And so you're, you're foolish. You look foolish in doing so. So five keys to catching the woe so that we don't miss what Jesus is saying here. You see, here's what we got to understand. Number one, first key. The gospel is for the irreligious and the religious. The gospel is for the irreligious and the religious. Jesus here sits down and he's eating with this Pharisee, this very religious man whom he knows disagrees with him, has been criticizing him, doesn't like him, right? He, he, he's known, this is like round 30 between Jesus and the Pharisees. And so Jesus knows exactly what's on this Pharisee's heart. And yet he sits down with him. He eats a meal with him. He talks with him. He doesn't put him on blast on social media. No, he engages in a conversation with him. You see, the way that we treat people sometimes is very strange evangelism strategy. Like the very people that God is calling us to reach with the great news of the gospel, we judge and condemn and say mean and hateful things about. And yet we we see Jesus here with a very religious person sitting down and eating with them and engaging with them, not, not, not canceling them, but engaging in conversation around a meal. This is an, this is an intimate setting. And so for some of us that are the more irreligious types or maybe haven't really liked church or have been burned by the church, this, this can sting a little bit because, because Jesus who sits and eats with sinners, engages in conversation with sinners, with the irreligious, does the same exact, has the same exact approach with the religious person as he sits down and eats dinner together with this very religious Pharisee. You see, both the irreligious and the religious need the gospel because both are clinging to something that will bring about their destruction. When Jesus sits down with the sinner, he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And so you got to think that like Matthew, the tax collector and his tax collector buddies are like, wait a second, Jesus, are you saying we're the sick people? Yeah, you need a doctor, you're sick. To the religious person, Jesus sits down with a religious person to, to show that sin and the law that they are clinging to in order to be right with God. And, and, and Jesus says, no, 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 regardless whether it's sin or the law, whatever, whether it's religion or irreligion, whatever it is, whatever you're holding on to, it's separating you from God and it's going to bring about your destruction. We see the same thing in our day with conservatives and progressives doing the same exact thing. And you might think, well, wait, well, which one's the Religious and which one's the irreligious? Yeah, but yes, <laughs> both. They, they both have a law unto themselves and I can prove it to you. Because if you don't do this, this, and this, if you don't vote this way, this way, and this way, if you don't agree with this, this, and this, just like I do, then you must not love and follow Jesus. 
That's a law. That's a checklist. That's a law in and of itself. And both progressives and conservatives, we all do this regardless of where you find yourself. We all gravitate towards law. And Jesus sits down with these religious people who are clinging to the law, clinging to the establishing their own righteousness before God. Saying you need the gospel, you're sick, you're dirty on the inside, you're dead on the inside. You may be going through the religious routine, you, you may have the show all together, but you are dead on the inside. You don't love God from your heart. You've got the routine down, but there's no love for God and love for your neighbor in your heart. The gospel is for the irreligious and the religious second key to catching the woe. The gospel is inside out, not outside in. It's inside out. It's not outside in. I, I, I know I probably confused some of you with the whole catch, catch the woe thing. I, I, I've got another uh, statement for you, right, from the younger generations. And it's called drip over skill. Drip over skill. It means the way you look is more important than your ability or your skill. Drip over skill. It's like when the golfer is decked out head to toe in all the right apparel, but like me, can't swing a golf club to save his life, right? That, that's drip over skill. It's the basketball player that's got the best shoes, like the best basketball shoes, but can't hit a shot to save his life, right? It's the skier, the snowboarder that's got all the right equipment, right? But just tumbles down the mountain over and over and over again, okay? That's, that's drip over skill. You look good on the outside, but you don't have any skill or ability to do what you're showing yourself to be able to do. You see, when you're obsessed with the outside, it's called vanity. And I remember growing up and being obsessed with my hair. I would painstakingly look at every hair and do my hair, like for, my parents made fun of me, my brothers made fun of me, right? I'll never forget in fifth grade at one of those class parties, my dad was at our school and, and he told all the boys to hold me down and mess up my hair and I was so mad. I went straight stomping off to the bathroom to fix my hair, right? I couldn't believe, I was so angry that he did that, right? And you know what they say about the sins of the father? They get passed down to the next generation. And so my, my boys are obsessed with their hair. I think they get it from their mom, but but they are obsessed with their hair. That's, that's, it's vanity when you're obsessed with the outside to the neglect of the inside. And Jesus says, you're so concerned with like the outside of the cup. The outside of the cup looks all clean, but the inside of the cup is like all dirty and, and, and nasty. And so, so Jesus makes a point here by not washing his hands before this meal, he's intentionally violating an extra biblical command, not a biblical command, but an extra biblical ceremonial law in the Jews oral law that had been added and considered to be the word of God. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Your obsession with the outside, with the routine, with the show has caused you to, to add to my word. Your, your obsession with the law like has made you add to the law and make it even more difficult. And, and so Jesus makes a point here, a powerful demonstration, illustration, by not washing his hands before this meal because he knows it's going to irk 
these religious Pharisees and lawyers, the teachers of the law of his day. It's, it's, it's going to irk them. They're not, they're not going to be able to stand it. This has nothing to do with germs. It has everything to do with making a point here. That the Pharisees, these religious people, were consumed with this outward show of religion. That they want to appear holy. Jesus says, you, you want these seats where, uh, of honor where everyone's looking at you and the attention's on you. And look how holy and, and, and righteous and, and spiritual you are. Paul said in Philippians 3, I used to be like that. I used to be like that, like obsessed with the outward show, obsessed with the routine. I, I, I used to be just like that. And you know what he, he said about the outward show and the outward routine in Philippians chapter 3, his obsession with that? He said it was like dung. It was dung. It's just worthless. And what the Pharisees do and what we do and we're concerned with this outward show and with this outward routine, it's like us saying, my pile of dung is bigger and steamier than yours, right? How disgusting is that? That's not a good thing. Paul says it's, it's worthless. This obsession with this outward show, this outward routine. Jesus says it's not about the outside, it's about what's inside, inside the cup. Loving God from your heart, loving your neighbor, caring for the poor. It's interesting that, that, that Jesus gives the, the evidence of a transformed heart, of a heart that loves God as, as someone who shows mercy to the poor and cares about justice for the poor. Like, like that's some of, we, we would look at the evidence of a transformed heart and say, well, they must go to church and they must vote Republican and they got to do all these. No, no, Jesus says the evidence of a transformed heart is you have mercy towards the marginalized. To those in society who are overlooked. And you're passionate about seeing that they get justice. That's the, the evidence that Jesus points to of a transformed heart. Jesus is clearly saying that those who are consumed here with the outside religious show are in danger because they think that just by doing what's right or by performing, they're somehow becoming more and more pleasing to God, holier and, and, and more righteous. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 you're, you're missing it. Like you're, you're missing that God is after your heart because when the inside of the cup is changed, when your heart is changed, you're transformed and you begin to love God from your heart and love your neighbor and show mercy towards the poor. Robert Stein, in his commentary on Luke, notes that even Jewish literature, like the Talmud that contained a lot of the oral law, condemns hypocritical religious types like the Pharisees. Watch what this says. It's, it's, it's funny. Condemnation of hypocritical Pharisees can even be found in the, the, the Talmud literature. This is some Jewish uh, uh, rabbi's teachings. And so where the oral law is found as well. And so Stein notes that in Soda 22b, seven types of Pharisees are described. The first five are hypocritical. The, the shoulder Pharisee who wears his good actions on his shoulders for all to see. The wait a little Pharisee who finds excuses for putting off a good deed. The bruised Pharisee, I love this, who, who to avoid looking at a woman lustfully runs into walls because they got their head down. They just boom, you know, just boom, there's another woman, right? They got all, they got all these bruises. Number four, the, the pestle or the hunched over Pharisee is one who walks around bent over to pretend like they're humble. 
five, the, the ever-reckoning Pharisee who's always weighing his good deeds against his bad deeds. But then also are mentioned number six, the God-fearing Pharisee who lives in holy awe and the fear of God. And number seven, the God-loving Pharisee who loves God from his heart. Jesus tells these Pharisees, these lawyers, your, your obsession with the religious routine, with this outward show, your obsession here has caused you to neglect the inside, to neglect your heart. And God's after your heart. He's looking past all the outward show, all the outward routine, and he's looking at your heart to see, is there love for God? Is there love? Do you love God from your heart? Third, third key to catching the woe. The gospel is easy to carry. It's, it's easy to carry. These scribes and lawyers and teachers of the law, these Pharisees, they had made following the Lord and worshiping God so difficult. And they prided themselves in how difficult they had actually made it through their elevation of their oral law. They prided themselves in this. That only they were able to perceive truth from God and understand it and be righteous and that the regular person would never be able to match up to them. They prided themselves in, in making it more difficult to worship God so that they would be looked at as the elite, as those who were spiritual, as those who were righteous. But Jesus would come and say this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That following the Lord is not burdensome. That when you're following Jesus, you're loving God from your heart, you follow Jesus, it's going to bring joy and peace. It's going to be easy to carry. It's not going to be burdensome. It's not going to be weighty. In Romans 10, Paul says, you, you got to read Romans 10. You got to understand Romans 10. Paul says in Romans 10 that Israel did not understand they didn't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Paul says they were confused about righteousness and how one is made righteous before God. Paul says in Romans 10 that the law says to be righteous, you have to keep all of the commands, past, present, and future, perfectly. To which all of us should say, I, I haven't done that. And I can't do that and I'll never be able. So I've got a big problem. I, I haven't, I can't, I won't. There, there's no way I could keep all of God's righteous commands. But in Romans 10, Paul says this, but faith's way, but, but God's way, faith's way of becoming righteous in the sight of God says this, I, I can't keep all the commandments and I don't even have to keep all the commandments and, and, and try to work my way to God because, Paul says in Romans 10, because Christ came down to me. I don't have to work my way up to God because Christ has come down. To, to, to try to work my way up to God would be to say, would, would be to act like Christ hasn't come down and accomplished the, the perfect and righteous requirements of the law. He's done it 
for us. We could never do it for ourselves. And so we don't try to go up to God through our religion and our routine and our works. No, Paul says in Romans 10, you've got to understand God's way of making people righteous. God came down to us in Christ to save us and to rescue us because we are law breakers, not law keepers. You see, what you've got to understand is that religion says you got to do this and you got to do that. But the gospel says it's done. It's finished at the cross. Jesus perfectly kept all the righteous requirements of the law. And then he died in your place for your sin. And when he died, he said, it's finished. It's done. Your fine has been paid for on the cross. And so while religion says, hey, you got to do this and you got to do that, the gospel says it's done. But, but watch what happens when it's done, when the gospel that says it's done takes root in your heart. It changes you. It transforms you. And then you begin to do. Why? Because it's done has taken root in my heart and it's changed me. And I've been born again and I've received the Holy Spirit of God that now lives inside of me and empowers me to follow the Lord, to turn from sin and to pursue holiness and righteousness, not because I've got to do all these things to work my way up to God. No, but because Christ has come down to me, saved me and rescued me and completed it. It's done. And when it's done, takes root in my heart, it transforms me. And I just begin to do that's the new covenant. That's the new covenant. God said Christ would come down. He would die for us in our place for our sin. And that those who trust in Jesus and God's payment of their fine, through his death on the cross, that those who give their life to Jesus, they would receive the Holy Spirit of God and that God would change our hearts. And from the inside out, we would begin to love God and pursue God. It's easy to carry because while religion says you do, the gospel says it's done. Fourth, the fourth key to catching the woe is that you've got to understand the gospel is hard to hear. It's, it's easy to carry. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's easy to carry, but it is hard to Make no mistake. The gospel is hard to hear. Jesus tells these Pharisees, you're, you're foolish. You're arrogant. You're, you're ignorant. You're, you're not okay. He tells them you're, you're dead on the inside. You're like, you're like a grave. You, you look good on the outside, but, but, but inside you're, you're dead and you're filled with sin and wickedness. He's going to say in his dinner with the, with the tax collectors and the other notorious famous sinners, he's going to tell them you're sick and you need a doctor. He's telling them here in these verses, these religious people, like, hey, you, you've missed it. You're, you're dirty and dead on the inside. And I love this. One of the lawyers, these teachers of religious law, says to Jesus, you've insulted us. Like, in other words, Jesus, you've hurt our feelings. And what does Jesus say? I love how the way the NLT uh, says it. The, the, the lawyer says, Jesus, you, you, you're insulting us. You're hurting our feelings. And Jesus says, yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, did you, did you see it? You've insulted, you're hurting my feelings, Jesus. Jesus, yeah. I know. And then he lays into him again. Here, I'm gonna hurt your feelings even more now. The gospel is hard 
to hear. You, you, you mean I'm sick. Can you imagine being one of the sinners at the table with Matthew, like your friends with Matthew and you're at this dinner with Jesus and, and Jesus is like, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. And, and, and so I've come for those who know they're sinners and need a doctor. And you're like, huh, uh, okay, Jesus, like if I'm reading you right here, like I'm pretty sure you're saying like I'm sick and I need a doctor. And can't you just hear Jesus saying once again, yep, that's what I said. Like our, our culture wants to tell us like you're good enough, uh, you're, you're smart enough and doggone it, people like you, right? I, I mean, you're good, you're perfect the way that you are, right? Like there's nothing wrong with you. And Jesus is like, that is a lie from hell. Jesus says, no, you're not perfect the way you are. Um, you're sick. You're dirty. You're dead on the inside. And you're like, but, but wait a second. I, like, I know this one verse. I think it's like John 3, 16. It's like God loves the world and, and Jesus died in our place for our sin. Whoever believes in him is not going to perish, but have everlasting life. Like, like, I thought like God's love, like, right. And he didn't condemn any of us. And didn't Jesus say, like, I, I don't condemn you, and I didn't come to condemn anybody, and, you know, you'd be right, but, but you got to know the full counsel of the Word of God, because while you may know John 3.16, you got to know John 3.17, where Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn anybody. Why? Because you stand condemned already. Oh, but Jesus, man, that hurts my feelings. <laughs> like, and Jesus say, yep, you stand condemned already because of your sin. I don't have to condemn you because you're already condemned. Because you're sick, you're dirty, you're evil, you're wicked. You, you've fallen short of the glory of God. You are not perfect the way that you are. Sure, you were made in the image of God, but because of our sin, that sin has tarred, that, that masterpiece, that, that work of art that God created, sin has totally marred and destroyed. But the great news of the gospel is that when you give your life to Jesus, you're born again and you're made new in Christ. But you are not, make no mistake, good enough or perfect the way that you are. You're, you're not. The gospel is hard to hear. And Jesus is, is saying to those that, that are hearing the gospel, they're like, wait a second, that's hard. That hurts my feelings. Like that stings, that, that, that hurts. And Jesus is saying, woe to you because you're going to suffer because of your pride and because of your arrogance and because of your unwillingness to humble yourself and admit that you are sick and that you need a doctor. Like woe to you if you're going to continue in your pride and in your self-righteousness and thinking that just in and of yourself, you're going to stand before a holy God. Woe to you. Feels pretty harsh. I don't know about you. In fact, John Calvin would say of the Catholic Church and the Pope in his day, if Peter were now alive, they would tear him into pieces. They would stone Paul. And if Christ himself were still in the world, they would burn him with a slow fire. That's what the reformer said about the Catholic church, said about the Pope in his day. Why? Because to a religious person, to a sinner, the gospel is offensive. And, and let's not throw stones 
at the Catholic Church in his day because we're all in the exact same place. Like we would all respond the exact same way. We are no different. Why? Because truth is hard to hear. We, we don't like truth. But it says in John 1 that Jesus came full of grace and truth, compassion and conviction, grace and truth. What, 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 kind of love, what kind of love is this? It's real love. It's real love. Real love is grace and truth. Real love is compassion and conviction. That, that's real love. That, that's not our culture's definition of love. That's not society's definition of love. And they got a, a, a totally, it's a completely affirmational version of love. But that's not the full counsel of the word of God. Real love is grace and truth. This is a holy, truth-filled love. You see, what you've got to understand is that Jesus practiced transformational love, not affirmational love. I, where's your accusers, woman? There, there's none left. Then, then neither do I condemn you, but what? Go and leave your life of sin. There it is. There's the repentance. I, I love you, and because I love you, I'm telling you, go now and leave your life of sin. It's transformational love. It's I, I love you so much, and, and as, as I, because I love you, you're going you're gonna to love me, and through this love relationship, I'm going to transform you from the inside out. Jesus practiced transformational love, not affirmational love. And so... A question for all of us this morning is, is how are you responding to the word of God? Do, do, you, do you bow up in pride or do you bow down in humility? The, the, the Pharisees, these teachers, they continue to bow up in pride. As Jesus preaches the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 12 that we're going to get to probably at the beginning of next year. Jesus says this. I've come to set the world on fire. Whoa. I'm guessing not a lot of us have heard that before. And then Jesus says this, you think I've come to bring peace? Jesus says, no. I've come to bring division. My guess is not a lot of us have read that part before. I've come, Jesus says, to set the world on fire. And I know a lot of us are like, wait, what? Like, why? Like, Jesus, what, what, are, you, what are you saying here? It's because Jesus knew that some are going to bow up and some are going to bow down. And that's going to create division. Some will bow up, some will bow down. And that's going to divide people. And we see with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they bow up in pride and they begin to violently defend and excuse their idol, right? And that's what religious people do all the time. They, they criticize someone else's idol and they don't examine the own idols in their own heart. And then they begin to defend the idols in their heart. They, they criticize your idol, but they defend the idol that's in their heart. And that's what these Pharisees and the teachers of the law are doing. They begin to violently 
do so. At the end of our passage, it says that they are trying to figure out ways to, to trap him. And as Jesus is now making his way back to Jerusalem, they are becoming more and more angry and, and, and plotting about ways to kill him. In fact, Daryl Bach in his commentary on Luke said this, the reaction to Jesus here at the end of this passage is strong. The leaders press around him and try to think of questions that may provoke him. Lying in wait, some translations say, it says they're trying to hope to catch him. In something he might say, to lie in wait and to catch, two terms that are used in some translations of this passage, they're hunting terms. The opposition to Jesus has become a hunt with Jesus as the prey. It's a hunt. These teachers of the law, these Pharisees in their religious pride are now trying to kill Jesus. He's the prey. The hunt is on because they have bowed up in their pride to the word of God, to the gospel of Jesus, because the gospel is hard to hear. The gospel divides. It divides the people that bow up and the people that bow down. Fifth, the fifth key to catching the woe is that you've got to understand the gospel is the only way. The gospel is the only way. It's not a way. It's not his way versus their way. No, no, no. The, the gospel is the only way. Like it is absolutely clear in this passage, in these verses that we've read, that Jesus is pre, like presents his interpretation of the law. He, he interpretates uh, uh, his interpretation of the scripture of events as being true and right. That, that's how he presents it. And he presents their interpretation of the law, of the scripture, and of events as being wrong and evil. Not, not as a different, like, alternative way. He presents his way as the way that's right and holy, and their way as the way that is wrong and evil. And then Jesus says something very interesting. Jesus prophesies that, that they're going to hate the apostles and their teaching too, and that they're going to try to kill them, just like they tried to kill the prophets of old. Just like their fathers had tried to kill the prophets, Jesus prophesies that they are going to hate the preaching and teaching of the apostles and the prophets that are coming to preach the new covenant. And, and Jesus says this, it's really interesting. He talks about the prophets from Abel to Zechariah. You see, see what Jesus is doing here is saying that the religious person's attitude towards the teaching, the, towards the, the word of God all throughout the Old Testament. You, you see, Abel is the beginning of Genesis and, and Zechariah is the end of Second Chronicles. And that's the historical way the, the Old Testament would go or it would end. Genesis, Abel to Zechariah. And so in quoting Abel to Zechariah, Jesus is referring to the entire Old Testament canon, to the, to, to the entirety of the Old Testament. And so by doing so, one, he's giving authority to the Old Testament saying, the Old Testament is the word of God, that you were, your fathers were trying to kill my prophets that we're preaching the word of God. 
And now Jesus says, you are going to try to kill the apostles and the prophets that are coming. You're going to persecute them. You're going to try to kill them. Why? Because you hate the word of God. You bow up. When, when you're confronted with the word of God. But, but here's what Jesus is saying here. He, he, he's putting the New Testament apostles and prophets in their teaching on the same playing field, or on the same ground as the Old Testament prophets and their teaching. He, he, here's what he's saying, that the gospel of the kingdom, this, this new covenant is... God's way of making people right with himself. And it is the word of God, just like the Old Testament canon is the word of God. He's putting the teaching of the New Testament on the same playing field as the teaching of the Old Testament. And he's saying it is all the word of God. And it's not a way, this is God's way. I've heard one theologian say it like this. God God could have a thousand ways to know him and to be right with him. And we would complain that there wasn't a thousand and one. When we should be rejoicing that God has made a way to begin with. God has made a way for us to be right with himself, to know him, to be in relationship with him and to go to heaven when we die. God has made a way. And Jesus says in John 14, verse six, I am that way. I am the way. It's it's not a way. It's not like my way versus your way and they're all kind of equally valid way. No, Jesus is I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life and no one goes to heaven except through me. That's what Jesus said. Peter said it like this. And remember what Jesus said about these New Testament apostles and prophets that what they say is going to be the word of God. And he tells these Pharisees, you're not gonna like it. You're going to try to persecute them and kill them too, but it's going to be the word of God. Peter says this in Acts 4 verse 12, salvation is found in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. There's no other way, Peter said. Salvation is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Paul said it like this. There's only one mediator between us and God and that is the God man, Jesus Christ. There is no other mediator by which you can know God and have a relationship with God and go to heaven when you die. Paul said this in Ephesians 2, you were saved by God's grace when you believed. When you believed, not when you were baptized, not when you had the Lord's Supper, not when you've been to church enough times, no, no, no. When you believed that God came down in Christ, met the righteous requirements of the law, died on the cross in your place for your sin, paying your fine, three days later, rose again, conquering your sin, conquering the grave. Paul said, when you believed, at that moment, you were saved by God's grace. And some of you are here today and you need to bow down to the way for the very first time. Like you've been bowing up, going your own way, making your own way. And you need to bow down to the way today and say in humility, I'm sick. I'm dirty. I'm dead on the inside. I need a savior. I, I could never work my way up to God. But 
But God, thank you that you've made a way by coming down to earth in Christ to save me and rescue me and to do for me what I could never do for myself. And so some of you are here today and that needs to be your decision. That needs to be your commitment. You're gonna give your life to Jesus today so that you can be forgiven of your sin, made right with God and go to heaven when you die. And if that's you, jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. But for, but for, for all of us, here, here's the challenge today. Don't miss it. These Pharisees, these teachers of the law, they, they missed it. Here's the challenge. Woe to you. Like, not to the person sitting next to you, not to your family member, friend, coworker, or neighbor, maybe you wished was here, or maybe you're thinking about, and you're like, man, they really need to hear that. No, 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 no. Woe to you. Woe to me. That, that are here and in some way kind of engaging in a routine just by sitting here and singing these songs and listening to this message. Like, like we in some ways, we are going through a routine which is good and holy when it's in its right perspective. But Jesus would say, woe to you. Like, is there love for God in your heart? Or are you just here going through the routine, going through the motions? Or as you examine your heart, is there a love for God in your heart that is motivating you and that is beating and filling you with passion to worship and to study his word? Or are you just going through the motions? Justin Gibney, a pastor, author, theologian, founder and president of the And Campaign, which helps churches kind of navigate politics. He said this, this past week, it's not just the church, the system, and everyone that you disagree with that needs to be changed and be redeemed. We, we all do this, whether conservative or progressive, we, we look at the church or we look at that person or we look at that system or whatever, like that needs to change. And I love what he said. It's not just the church, the system, and everyone you disagree with that needs to be changed and be redeemed. It's you. You need to be changed. I need to be changed always seeing ourselves as the protagonist or the hero or the victim allows the evil in us to thrive. That's why Jesus would say to you right now, every single one of you, he would say it to me like, woe to you, like pump the brakes. Make sure you're not just going through the motions. Make sure you're not just going through the routine. Is there really a love for God that is overflowing out of your heart? And that's the reason you're and that's the reason you're gonna sing these songs. Is there a love for God? You see, God is judging your heart. You might be putting on the show, you might be going through the routine. He's looking past all of that and he's looking right at your heart right now. He's looking past all of it. He's looking past the mask that you put on. He's looking past your attendance here, which is great. He's looking past all of it. He's looking at your heart. And what Jesus is telling us here is that he's looking for a, a love for him that, that translates into a love for our neighbor, a care for the poor, the marginalized, uh, 
a passion for, for justice for the marginalized. And, and, and if you're here and you, you've been hearing all this and you're like, man, my, my heart's not really there. Like, like, how do I change my own heart? And that's the best question you could possibly ask because you know what the answer to that question is? You can't. You cannot change your own heart. That's what God does for you when you give your life to Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does in you as you follow Jesus and cry out to God to help you and redeem you and save you and sanctify you like all over again every single day. That's why Paul said, I die every day. I die every day. I'm weak, he's strong. And so I boast in my weakness that I cannot do something something so that his power might rest on me and do for me what I could never do for myself. And so if you're like, my heart is not there, my heart needs to change, what do I do? There's nothing you can do except cry out to God that his spirit might move inside of you and transform you and change you. And when it's changed, then you're just gonna, you're gonna begin to love God. That's what the Holy Spirit does is he gives you a love for Jesus and a love for his people. Leon Morris in his commentary on Luke said it like this. They, the Pharisees were concerned with what one does, but Jesus was more concerned with what one is. looking past everything you do and looking to who you really are. He's looking at your heart. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. It can be hard to hear, but God, as we humble ourselves to your word and to the great news of the gospel, there is joy, there is peace, there is satisfaction in you and in your presence, in the light, in the truth. And so God, by the Holy Spirit, would you, would you help us to catch what you were teaching these Pharisees? Let us not be like them and miss it and, and miss the key and, and in doing so lead other people astray. God, by your spirit, would you help us as your word says to understand and to discern spiritual truth? So God, let us not be ones that miss it. Let your Holy Spirit come and transform us, help us to understand, change our hearts, that we might have a love for God that overwhelms us and that overflows out of our hearts because it's done has taken root in us and transforms us into a people that do for the glory of God, not out of religion and not to be righteous, but because we are righteous. It's who we are now. And so Holy Spirit, as we sing, would you convict and transform? Because we could never do those things for ourselves. We pray them in Jesus' name.